Well, church, if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Galatians chapter 3 as we continue our study in the book of Galatians. Uh, there are some notes out there. If that helps you, uh, we will try to... Uh, the PowerPoint here. All right. A few, well, it was about a month ago, um, my neighbor knocked on the door. And, uh, which always gets our heart pounding, what do we do now? Um, and uh, he, has, uh, he was just telling me, he said he had a podcast that he had started during this pandemic, and, and uh, he interviews different people, talks about different subjects, and he was just thinking that uh, it might be good to do a podcast on where is God in all this talking about the pandemic. And so I said, well, let me tell you where I'm going to come from. And I kind of gave him my answer. And he said he wanted to do it. And, and uh, so we did a, a podcast a few weeks ago. We're actually going to put the link uh, in the email that goes out this week. If you want to listen to your pastor, try to defend the faith. Uh, um, my neighbor comes from a Catholic background, although not a practicing Catholic. And, uh, and he says in his introduction that he believes God created all the different religions so that we would uh, learn uh, how to get along. And uh, uh, your pastor comes from a different uh, perspective than that. And so we had a discussion. If you, if you, anyway, if you want to hear the discussion, uh, we're going to post the link. Uh, there's some language in it, not from your pastor, but just a little bit. And so um, in that, um, and in Galatians, I was thinking about, you know, my, my neighbor keeps saying, I, I believe in God, and he, and he does. Um, I think that we need to begin to, to make a, a distinction between believing God and believing in God. And here's where I'm making a distinction. In fact, it's in the text here, um, in uh, verse 6, just as Abraham, chapter 3, believed God. It doesn't say he believed in God. Now, obviously, Abraham did believe in God, but he believed God. What is, what is it talking about there? What it means is that God made a promise to Abraham and Abraham believed it. And so you can believe in God, but do you believe God in the sense that what he says is true and will come true? There's a distinction. In fact, even the demons believe in God. So we, we make a distinction. And uh, so when we kind of go through Galatians here, we've been talking about this outline. In the first two chapters, Paul is... Uh, defining and defending the gospel. And in chapters three and four, the gospel creates a multi-ethnic family. And that's what we're going to be talking over the next few weeks. Although today, we're really going to talk about what unites that multi-ethnic family. And then in the last two chapters, that is transformed by the Spirit. So look at Galatians chapter three. I'm going to read the first nine verses, and uh, we'll see how far we get today. Oh, foolish Galatians! Okay, it's already grabs your attention here, right? Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus, the Messiah, was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by words of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed, 
it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was, it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Here's that multi-ethnic family. The multi-ethnic family is made up of those of faith. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So in, in today's message, we want to just kind of do a short review, just kind of get us back up to speed on where we are in Galatians. And then we want to look at this reversal, the Galatian reversal, having begun, they, they changed directions. And then Paul has some great rhetorical questions in here. We're going to look at those. And then we're going to end with what the Christian has received. So as we dig into this, uh, really the thing that we recognize is that Paul is saying, having begun. So they started on a path. They're going down a different path. Don't leave the gospel behind. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you those, that review, that reversal, the rhetorical questions, and what the Christians had received. And in the end, I want to give you three things that every Christian must do to be saved. So hold on, you're going to, you need to hear those. All right, so here's a review. You remember Paul's missionary journey. Uh, Paul went up through the re uh, region of Galatia uh, on his first missionary journey. Paul preached the gospel in these churches. He either stopped or slowed down in three or four of these churches in this region. And in chapter four of Galatians, Paul uh, mentions that it was because of a physical ailment, his eyes, that, that caused him to slow down in this region. And he circled back around and established churches. We know that from Acts. And then from the text of Acts and Galatians, as we put these things together, we recognize that somebody came in after Paul. We're we're identifying them by the name Judaizers. And these Judaizers came in, they questioned Paul's authority, and so Paul's going to defend his authority. And he, he, they come in and they, they, um, they're saying, you know, Paul was good, and here's the gospel, but what he forgot to tell you is all these Jewish traditions. And so what the Judaizers believe is it's the gospel, plus being Jewish, makes you... Uh, a Christian or saved. And so it's the gospel plus Jewish traditions and practices and, and uh, feasts and all these different things. So Paul gives his right to speak. He's an apostle, and right? In chapter one, the gospel was directly revered, revealed to him in chapter one. He reminds them of their relationship, how Paul came to them. And we took some time just to make sure as a church that we define the gospel well um, they, Paul had already shared that with them, and so we want to make sure we understand it when Paul's using this word gospel over and over again. And so we defined it, the good news is about a king and a kingdom. And then we shared seven essentials, ingredients to the gospel. And we said, not, 
all the time or each one of these shared, but ideally, these are things that we should touch on, and that is the kingdom is here. Jesus came preaching the kingdom is here, and we're reminded that we need to repent of sin, that we need to believe the gospel, that we need to follow Jesus. Man, I'm doing terrible on the PowerPoint, but these things are on your notes there. Um, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and then Jesus is the Messiah, and he's coming again. So uh, we looked at these things and were reminded, uh, and what we've been saying is our theme, the gospel applied is this, the gospel plus nothing equals everything. The gospel plus nothing equals everything. So then in chapter two, Paul shared his testimony and we looked at his conversion, his coaching, his confirmation, his convictions, which brought him into a disagreement with Peter. And then Rich got to end that section, Peter's discussion, and Paul's conclusion is that we are justified by faith alone. Now, remember, the Judaizers are struggling with this idea of um, the gospel, but what do we do with all the, the law and the traditions of the Old Testament? So Paul brings in this word, justification, and it's a legal term because he's dealing with a legal problem, the law. And so what he says is, look, through faith, you are legally declared innocent. And that solves the law issue. And so he says, Jews, you're justified. Gentiles, you're justified. And so we're all on the same page. And then look at chapter 2, verse 20. I mean, just the climax of that section Paul says, I have been crucified with the Messiah. Now, time out. Was Paul literally crucified? No. What he is saying is that when Jesus is on the cross, Paul's representation, Paul's person, Paul's sin... Paul's condemnation is on the cross. Through faith, you and I are crucified for our sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if you are part of the faith family, you can say this. I have been crucified with the Messiah. Now listen, that's that's salvation. But where Paul is going in chapter 3... It is no longer I who live. Did Paul die? No, he's talking about the way that he does life. Every single day, he says, I no longer live. But the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for it is, for if righteousness were through the law, then the Messiah did 
died for no purpose. Here's why the gospel matters. Here's why not every road leads to God. Because if, if we could somehow do it on our own, live the rules, do the things, if we could do it, then Christ doesn't need to be crucified. He wasn't crucified for just some. He couldn't, couldn't do it. He wasn't just crucified for the weak. He was crucified for all of us because we're all weak and we can't do it. So Paul reminds them of that. And then he says, you fools. Man, you foolish Goliath. How, how could you receive that and then start to live like you needed to live by the law? Now, just before we dig into this a little bit deeper, before you think, yeah, oh goodness, you Galatians, whew, you missed it. I don't have that problem. That certainly wouldn't happen to me. Let's just be reminded who Paul just had to correct. Peter, who walked with Jesus, who's one of the disciples, one of the apostles of the early church. He got swept up in it. So if you think Peter can do it and not you, I say to you, you fool, pay attention. So here's the reversal. The Galatians have left something behind. Having begun, verse 3. Paul calls them fools. Now the Greek word does not connote mental deficiency, but mental laziness and carelessness, one person wrote. They weren't stupid. They, were simply, they simply stopped applying the truths of the gospel. Now, Rich and I talk all the time, and one of the things that we are trying to emphasize, and I know some of you are asking questions, and you're getting kind of frustrated with our answers, because we keep coming back to the same answer. Let's make sure we have the gospel right, and that we're applying it to this situation. Because we don't want to leave something behind, as the Galatian church did. One person said this phrase is a combination of anger and love. They said it should be transla translated, oh, you dear idiots. You know, <laughs> it's just like, I mean, I really like you, you idiot. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's loving and yet it's, it, there's frustration there. Let me just ask the question. And, you know, we, we look at the Galatians here and where does doctrinal error come from? Um, and I did a lot of reading this week, and as I always do, and, and uh, there was a, one um, commentator just kind of had this history of German pastors after World War II that had a meeting, a large convention. And they asked the question, what happened? How did we get sucked up into this? Where did we get offline? How did we believe this? And one person said, what we all like to say, the devil made us do it. And somebody said, hold on a second. We were lazy. 
we allowed ourselves to be fooled. And the commentator pointed out, we get to these places because of two reasons. One, human ignorance. We just get lazy. And, and folks, that's why the DVDs will help you kind of understand where people get off, but we start to focus on one part of the Bible and just say, this is it, this is what, this is it, we got to get this, and it's like, well, where's all the rest of it? We just get lazy, we get comfortable. It becomes about us. And then the second way is by demonic influence. Do you think Satan wants the church to be gospel-centered? I mean, read the New Testament, obviously. These two things are constantly going on. And so we need to be aware of that. So there is this reversal. Paul's point, and if we could just look at it again, let me just, we're going to keep coming back to it. But he says in verse 2, let me ask you only this. I love Paul. Let me ask you only this. And then there's four to six questions, depending on where you're your Bible puts the question marks, okay? Let me ask you only this. Boom, 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 boom. But he says, let me ask you only this. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Last week, Rich talked about justification. And the other part is what we refer to as sanctification. And so Paul is saying, justification comes by faith, and I've got news for you. Sanctification comes by faith as well. And so his point is this. The way in which the Spirit entered your life should be the same way that the Spirit advances your life. Enter justification, advances sanctification. Now, I want you to listen here because some of you are going, okay, Dave, you're the preacher, we agree, check. But but here's what we have tended to believe. One person wrote this. Christians think... Listen, Christians think that we are saved by the gospel, but then we grow by applying biblical principles to everyday life. But we are not just saved by the gospel, we grow by applying the gospel to everyday life. So he asks here, what I've got on your notes is four rhetorical questions, just to make sure we're all on the same page. A rhetorical question is asked in order to produce an effect or to make a statement rather than to elicit information. So when Paul says here, who has bewitched you? He wasn't waiting for a response. Well, I don't know. Was it, was it Satan? Uh, was it our own ignorance? What Paul is saying is, it seems like You've been bewitched. Let me just put it into modern terms, and I apologize, parents, ahead of time. But when your friend says to you, what are you, an idiot? He isn't expecting or she isn't respecting a response. They are stating that you are an idiot. Okay, so that's what Paul, Paul's making a statement here. 
And so the first question is a question about initiation. Okay, how we got into the faith. Having begun by the Spirit, right? Or let me go back, I'm sorry. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the laws or by hearing with faith? Okay, the Galatian church, hearing, right? We know that. It's by faith, Paul, we know. It's a question of initiation. Initiation into the life in the spirit, is it by your works or by your faith? Now listen, I I think that you know this, but we tend to think to ourselves that we need to do something, produce something, change something in order that for God to love us. And I know some of you are tempted to do it because I'm tempted to do it. Satan's lie is that God can't love you because fill in the blank. And yet the gospel is you, you don't come to the spirit You don't come to Jesus because you've cleaned yourselves up and you've picked yourselves up and you've gone to church and you've written your check. It's only by faith. It's because you believe God. That's it. Listen, you attribute nothing to the process. So he moves on to a question of completion. And he says, having begun by the Spirit, verse 3, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And that's what the Judaizers want you to believe. Yeah, you got saved by faith, but now you got to work real hard. You got to obey the law. You got to do these things. The questions about completion is how we are sanctified, perfected in the faith. Is it by the Spirit or by works? And every one of us are tempted to say works. Reading my Bible, going to church, witnessing, not doing this. Not doing, and by all means, never dancing. The third question is about persecution. He says in verse 4 Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, excuse me, I, I, uh, did you suffer in vain? End of that. What he is saying is that there's a cost of following Jesus. Do we suffer, if in fact we do, do we suffer because of the Spirit in us or because of our good works? Now, here it is a bit confusing because sometimes maybe as being a follower of Jesus, you believe a certain thing, you don't do a certain thing, you do a certain thing because you want to, to, not because you're trying to save yourself or sanctify yourself, but because you love Jesus. And other people 
have maybe made fun of you or excluded you or you didn't get the promotion or whatever it is because of that belief, because of that way. And you say, well, yes, I'm persecuted because of my works. But Jesus said, they will hate you because they hate me. Here's the reason why we're persecuted, if in fact we are. We're not persecuted because we have Christian t-shirts. We're not persecuted because of our Facebook page. Some of you, maybe you deserve a little bit. We're persecuted because Christ is in us. That's what the difference is. That's what Paul is saying here. And and Paul's testimony is, look, if, if I simply came to you and said, believe in Jesus, but you need to keep all these Jewish laws, I wouldn't be in trouble. I wouldn't be in prison. Why does Paul end up in prison? He ends up in prison because the Jews keep accusing him of stuff. And then finally, there's a question about miracles. And he says, verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, let me just say a couple of things here. Um, What he is saying is, does the Spirit grow you heal you, change you because of your good works or because of your faith? And the answer is because of our faith. And I read that, and I know where some of you are. And you say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm seeing the miracles. Why don't we see the miracles? Why? I I think sometimes in my life, and I'm not going to put this on you, But I will say in my prayer, God, why why doesn't this happen or that happen? I've worked real hard. I've given my life to serving you. I've publicly, what am I doing? I'm making a case based on my works. But Jesus, I've served you. I've been a believer. I've given. I've been faithful. Why won't you heal me? we just step back and as Baptists confess that we have kind of pushed the spirit out and we've put ourselves in the driver's seat and Paul is telling you and me change healing transformation comes by the power of God by faith not because you earned it or deserve it. And I'll tell you, when we just stop for a moment and stop trying to give God our resume and just give God our heart, he can do far more. Now Paul says to them, go back up to verse 1, you foolish Galatians, Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus the Messiah was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's it's an interesting Greek word there. It kind of has a billboard type of of, uh, feeling that that Paul came and uh, 
How did he publicly portray Christ as crucified? How did, how did he do that? Did he have a really good slide presentation? Uh, did Paul travel with flannel board? Uh, did they do a skit? What Paul is saying is that when the gospel is preached, and when the gospel is preached effectively, you and I begin to see Jesus Christ and him crucified set before our eyes. We see it in our hearts. We see it in our minds. We weren't there. We didn't get the movie. We didn't rent it. It's there because it's publicly portrayed through the preaching. And when they saw it, what did they do? They repented and believed. They, they, were, they were overwhelmed as, as some of us were at the point of salvation where we go, I can't do this anymore. Jesus is real. And he's saying, I, I, don't, I don't know how, I, I watched you, I saw you. I'll tell you, as a teacher, um, and, and many teachers uh, have it far worse than I do, but teaching at Corbin this semester is not that fun. And part of it is, as a teacher, when I'm teaching, I can tell if the students are listening most of the time. I can tell if they're engaged, but I can't right now. A, if they're in class, half their face is covered. And, and the other part, they're on a screen, and I can't, I can't watch the screen and do everything else that I'm doing. And Paul is saying, I, I saw it. I saw the awakening in you. Saw it in your eyes. Christ was publicly displayed. Graphically is, is the word I, I kind of used here because it's uh, just those two words, publicly and portrayed, there's so much in there, we don't have to time it. But Jesus was graphically displayed. And so because of that, he says, um, which bewitched you before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this, did you receive? So Jesus was graciously received when he was betrayed. They, they saw it and they received it. Now we could just, just pause here for a moment. Paul is making a case, and he has repeated it several times, that Jesus was received through faith. He wasn't received by any actions they did other than believing in God believing that he died, believing that he rose again, believing that he was the Messiah, believing in his promise that he was going to return, they believed through faith. Faith is more than just intellectual incent. It's not just saying, I, I, oh, I know that. When, when Abraham believes God, it's specifically talking about the promise that God gave him. And so he, he lived in the reality that somehow God was going to give him a son in his 90s. 
That's some faith. That just takes going, okay, God. Now, when we're living in difficult times and we pray, your kingdom come, I tell you, there's just a moment this week as I was praying that where I just paused. I just imagined for a moment what it would be like. I just, I just kind of let my imagination run. And I just, I just I, I, all I can do is believe, God, that one day I'm not going to have to turn on the news. I'm not going to be feeling like the church and the world and the community I live in is at odds. I'm just going to believe it. Now, that comes by God's grace. It's not something that we deserve, right? God, God's grace gives us something that we don't deserve. His mercy, we don't get what we do. It's, it is through faith alone, by God's grace alone, and folks, it only comes in Christ. It's in Christ alone. It's not because you're Baptist. It's not because you give money. It's not because you live in America. It is only through Jesus Christ. The world wants you to believe that there are many roads that lead to the mountain of God. Your friends want you to admit to them, look, it's just one way, right? You're not saying that the road I'm on is wrong, are you? You can't say that. Folks, we have to stand on this, that we are saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And guess what? It's not about you. It's for his glory. It's for God's glory. Now, as a church, where do I get this? Dave, how can you say that? Because we stand on this truth through, or better way of saying that, our highest authority is in the Scriptures. Man, I just got the five solas of the Reformation in there, and I'm not even, Frank, I mean, Frank does this, but I, I pulled a Frank here and got them all five in there. He received Jesus. He was graphically displayed. He was graciously received. And the Spirit, the Spirit was divinely given. Now, um, again, as a church, um, as followers of Jesus, I just want you to hear these words one more time. Paul says to the church, O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Most of us in our tradition would be more comfortable if Paul said, did you become a Christian by faith or works? We go, faith, yay! That's not what Paul said. Paul said, did you receive the Spirit? 
And let me just tell you, you can't be a follower of Jesus, a true disciple of Jesus, unless you have the Spirit. That, those two are, are changeable. So we pro- probably should understand a little bit more of what the Spirit does. And, and you know what? Some of you are starting to freak out a little bit. And you go, how do I know? Look, conviction comes through the Spirit. Good works come through the Spirit. Transformation comes through the Spirit. Generosity comes through the Spirit. Faith, love, joy, peace. They come through the Spirit. Now, I said at the beginning, and um, I said that uh, we were going to look at this, uh, this review, and uh, we were going to look at their, their uh, reversal, and uh, what they what they believed, and, and uh, these rhetorical questions. And at the end, I was going to give you three things that every Christian must do to be saved. Now, I hope that you realize when a preacher says that, what has he just said? The gospel plus these three things. That, that goes totally against everything that I've just said. So here's my application. Three things every Christian must do. Number one, stop doing. Stop doing and believe that God has already done it. Stop trying to earn your justification because he's already done it. You know, Dave, I don't know. Do I need to get saved again? I don't know. Did you believe him? Did you place your faith in him? Stop doing. If you're trying to prove to me you're a Christian, you're missing the point. If you're trying to prove to somebody in this room that you're good enough, you're missing the point. None of us are good enough. Stop doing and believe. The second thing you need to do, stop doing and believe that God will do it. That's the sanctification process. How am I going to get there? How am I going to go closer to, to God? But believe that the Spirit will do it in you. Now, believe you me, this is scary to preach as a preacher. Oh, Dave, is he just telling us just to Stop going to church on Sunday. We don't need to give our money. We don't need to serve. We just need to put it on cruise control. Oh, come on. We need to cooperate with the Spirit's working in us. We need to respond to the conviction. We need to use the gifts that he's given us. We need to to bless others with the blessings that he's given us. But these aren't things that we do to get saved. These aren't things that we do to... uh, change our status with God, God has already done it. Third thing, I bet you can guess by now. Stop doing and believe that God has given you what you need. Man, my invitation to you is maybe just to go home and just thank God for the Spirit. Be reminded of what you've already received. 
Say, God, help me get back in touch with what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, we're going to close here in a moment uh, with communion. If you want to grab some elements real quick, I'm going to get ready to read something and lead you in communion. And then after that, uh, come up, the worship team will come up and lead us in song. So if you, if you have your communion elements, pull those out. If you need to go back and grab one, go back and grab one. And I, I want to talk about this idea of communion, uh, especially in uh, this, this broken time. Now, during my, uh, my podcast, my neighbor, Drew, who's leading this, and he actually, he brought up the word communion, which was really interesting. Uh, we're really in there, and he was talking about how in all of this, we need to get back into communing with one another. And I'm just sitting there going, thinking about almost like a volleyball game, thinking he could have not set me up any better. And so I said, Drew, let me just, let me just, let me just jump off that word communion. And he's Catholic. I think he did it on purpose. But, but the idea of communion is an idea of communing, right, with God, communing with one another. And on this topic of Gentiles and Jews, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, similar to the passage that we're kind of reading, but let me just read this to you. He says this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Now, anytime I hear the word mystery, I go, well, I want to know what the mystery is. And I hate when Paul does that, because now I'm like, well, now I'm, now, I'm, now I'm lost. Like, did I miss something? What's the mystery, Paul? How the mystery, verse 3, was made known to me by revelation, so I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of the Messiah, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And then thankfully, in verse 6, Paul tells us what the mystery is. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of the Messiah Jesus through the gospel. When we take communion, we are reminded that we are now in communion, in partnership, in relationship with all the Jewish history of the Old Testament. And that we are in fellowship with all fellow believers of Jesus Christ. Not because of a political party, not because of a belief, not because, but because of Christ. And we are partakers in what is to come. And so as you come to the table today, I invite you to take of the bread and juice. I'm going to pray and then you can take and be reminded of the communion we have with our fellow brothers and sisters because of Christ. Father, thank you for this morning. 
Thank you for the reminder of who we are and what you have done. Father, I confess that there are so many times that I believe that my worth, that my position comes because of what I do. That it comes from the law. And when I do that, Lord, I lessen. I take away your love and mercy that was portrayed on the cross. I forget about Jesus and him crucified. So, Lord, I pray that you would help me to receive by faith your grace through Christ, for your glory that's recorded in your word. May I believe it and live in it. May the gospel be set before us as we remember your body and your blood shed for us. May we do it in a way that brings you glory and unites us as your body. We pray this in Jesus' name.